It's the Conflab. It means an intimate or private discussion or conversation. Before we get into this episode, this episode is full of hazardous substances. So if you're a bit adverse or allergic to bad language, we just want to give you a warning now, especially if you're playing this in your kitchen while your kids are eating breakfast, you might want to give this episode a swerve. But hey, listen, we look forward to you conflabbing with us again next week. (laughs) (laughs) Repping the high vibe, how good? Yeah, there you go. Fresh. I was waiting for it. You look good in the high vibe top. Thanks, mate. <laughs> All right. Hey, welcome back to the Conflab today. We've got a very special guest, Elliot Chenery. I'm super pumped about this, which I am for every one of my guests, but this guy just brings the energy into the room. And as soon as he walked in the front door in our office before we got in the studio, you could feel the energy shift. So pretty excited. Um I'm not going to give too much background about Elliot. We'll just talk. And I've got a few questions up my sleeve. But Elliot's uh, it's an interesting character. He's like the square peg in the round hole, didn't fit in. And I know a lot of people can, f- can relate with that or that will resonate with a lot of people uh, because you, you do in life go, well, like, the society's telling me to do this, but I don't feel like I can fit into that pocket. And that was Elliot's upbringing. Like he had an incredible family, <clears throat> incredible family upbringing, amazing father, brothers, but just couldn't fit into what society was telling him to do. Don't forget mum in there too. And, yeah, <laughs> and, and mum. No, I dropped, dropped, I'll let you drop the mum thing. And um, he ended up in uh, gangs and violence because he just couldn't fit and he needed a place to belong and that they gave him a sense of value and belonging. And one day woke up and realised that wasn't the life for him and tried to get into the ADF. Uh, repeatedly and uh, got knocked back and then said, stuff it, I'm going to France and joined the French Foreign Legion. So that's just a little snippet of what we're going to get into today. Mate, stoked to have you. Stoked to be here. Hey, we were just talking about something that you did on the weekend. Yeah. And so before we go like on this amazing journey of Elliot from a little boy with an incredible set of parents and family to joining biker gangs and ducking bullets – to running off to his older brother and becoming a PT with him and then heading off to France. Before we get into all that. To dodge more bullets. <laughs> there's to dodge more bullets. So, so that's uh, mind-blowing as it is. What did you do on the weekend? So we, uh, I went down to a mate of mine's got a farm down in Middle Pocket, which is just outside of Byron Bay, and uh, he has, does this once a month where he gets like 22 guys that come together to do some real primal warrior kind of stuff and – and uh, we got together and did primal walk uh, workouts and played tug of war against each other and fought each other and did ice baths and we had a sexologist come. We learned about the vagina and how to how oh. to pleasure your woman and and we did financial planning. We did business planning. We did biohacking. Um, we did uh, ice baths and breathworks and then we did a Tesmacal session, which is a ancient Amazonian tradition where you get in a tent which is covered by blankets. And uh, they hit up these rocks all day. So they're, they're like red hot lava rocks that they bring in and you're in this tiny little room covered in blankets, pitch black dark, and uh, it's about 100 degrees in there. You know, you, you put your tongue out, it's 
dries out your tongue, your hair's red hot, your your, your eyes and stuff, your ears even, and uh, it's just a full ceremony in there. You're singing, it's a real mind game, but you can't see a thing. It's just pitch black and just red hot in there. Oh. Hotter than any sauna you've ever been in your life. So you, you obviously survived the weekend. Yep. What was the highlight? Uh, probably that. Probably yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good to see. Like you see a lot of men get into that and feel uncomfortable because it's quite claustrophobic in there and you don't know what's got to happen and you just see the breakthroughs after it, you know what I mean, when they come out of it and they just realise that that you're so much capable of like, more, you know what I mean? It's it's the human body and the human mind is an amazing thing once you can harness. Yeah, what does David Goggins say? We only operate at 60% of our peak. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> and stay hard. That's amazing. So biohacking, explain a bit of biohacking for everyone. Um, so we had this guy come, he's an a, uh, anesthesiologist and he came and he's not your norm um, kind of doctor. He, he's really out there but quite grounded and, and humble and he taught us all about what, what foods to eat and what's good for the myo- myochondria and and uh, longevity and that kind of stuff. So this guy's 43, man. He looks about 25. Wow. He, his skin is amazing and he's just so agile and he's shredded. So just got to learn the real basics of, of longevity and, and how to live a long life, you know. Yeah. And have life in your years, you know? Yeah, yeah. So where can people connect with someone like him? Um, that's a hard one. It's a kind of a closed group that us us uh, business owners get together and do that. But we're going to start doing more stuff like that on the coast here. He's he's moving up from Middle Pocket to Corumban, so we're yeah. going to start opening it up and and bringing that kind of stuff to the coast as well. So we'll keep a keep an eye out on on uh, high vibe social media and and uh, if you want to connect with me on my one at Gift Odious, you can do that too, and I can always point you in the right direction. Yeah, cool. If you didn't already get it. Um, the High Vibe T-shirts. Elliot owns High Vibe Water, which is down in, in Burley on the Gold Coast. And uh, it's quite like I love High Vibe Water, by the way. Thank I, you. I'm, I'm a total convert on it. <laughs> Full water snob now. And I love, yeah, a total water snob. <laughs> I, absolutely. No, don't. They, we'll go to a restaurant. They'll say, oh, would you like still a spark? And go, nothing. nothing. Thank you. I'm yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Just bring me some wine. I'll, I'll pass the <laughs> I'd rather water. drink the water. I'd rather, yeah, water. I'd rather drink High Vibe all day. <laughs> and I, I love telling people about the the transition of when you're actually filtering the water and playing uh, frequencies to the water as it transitions. Yeah. And some of the looks I get are just like, what the fuck, really? Yeah, it's crazy, yeah, eh? It's crazy. So Yeah, it's out there. It's good. I love it. You know, anything different. We've got to be sponges. We've got well, to be curious. Well, that's right. We do. And we've got to be open enough to make that change. You know what I mean? Obviously, what we've been doing for the last 70 years isn't working. You know what I mean? And, and there's a big shift that needs to change. And I believe the next 70 years is all about change. And, and maybe it doesn't happen in our lifetimes, but we're here to make that change, you know? So it's the old saying of you don't plant the tree to you sit in the shade. It's for your kids and your grandkids to sit in the shade. So we're, we're on that mission to shift that energy and, and create a better world for our kids and grandkids. Yeah, what, what a great quote that is about legacy. You know, we, we, don't, we, we live a life about us rather than living a life about the future Yeah, and living a life pl- caring for the planet. Like the Indigenous community's statement is to care about all things and all things in its place. Correct. You know, so you know, we've got to think about the future and what's going on with the planet, what's going on with the – uh, you know, our society on all different holistic levels, every different level, not just um, not just health, but emotional health and spiritual health and and all those things. So, mate, um, let's get back to it. Let's get back to the Let's story. go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning, even though um, 
Yeah, why don't you just explain High Vibe first to everyone? So High Vibe Water came from um, came from a lady who actually got cancer and with her payout she started High Vibe Water to empower people on what quality water and quality food does to the human body, you know, and, and – um, my housemate at the time brought it home to me and he goes, try this water. And I was the same. I was like, whatever, man, water, water's water. He goes, just try it, man, just try it. And I trusted him. I said, okay, I'll give you two weeks. And I, I started drinking it. And my problem was that I used to drink a lot of water, but I was always going to the toilet and I always felt dehydrated. You know, so once I started drinking this, I started drinking more water and I was going to the toilet less. So what happens when you don't drink quality water and it's got chemicals and all the stuff that's in it, the pharmaceuticals and all that kind of stuff that's in it, is your body goes into overdrive and it's trying to rid your body of all these chemicals all the time. So it's just constantly flushing your body. So you're constantly going to the toilet and you're getting deep, more dehydrated, more dehydrated, and you're actually aging faster. So our process is that I don't like I don't like to water mine. I don't like to take water out of the ground where we where we've got to dig for it and get that kind of stuff. So we take ours from a from a local source, um, which is the Hins Dam just here, and we strip it back to neutral. We take everything out of it, all the chemicals, all the toxins, all the pathogens, all the bacteria, and then we reconstruct the water with our minerals. We put potassium, calcium, and magnesium back in them. We run frequencies through the water because uh, different frequencies create different molecule structures in the water. We set intentions to the water because water holds memory. So if I have two glasses of water like we have right here and I said love to one and gratitude to the other under the microscope, that would have two totally different molecule structures. Wow. So that's how powerful water is. Water, water is an alien, you know. We just we, we think – well, we're, we don't even, we're not even taught about water, you know. We think we, we, we turn on the tap and water comes out. That's, mm. that's all we know, right? But it, it's so much deeper than that. It's an alien. It's, it's, uh, it's us, right? It's the lifeblood of Earth. It's the lifeblood of all life. Um, and then we activate the molecule structure of the water and bring it back to life like you would find out in nature. So that's what high vibe is. Wow. There you go. And thinking about it, it's probably – water is probably the most consumed thing on the planet. Big time. Yeah. And the most needed thing. What is it? Well, most needed thing for sure. Three really? weeks without food. And three, it's, a, it's Three about, days without water. Yeah. Yeah. Three, three days without water, you really start to shut down. In seven days, you'll be dead. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, and you can go. You can go without food for a very long time. You can go, yeah, without food for a long time. So it's the most consumed thing. So why, we need to pay attention to what we put into our bodies, and well, probably, probably should start. Absolutely, drink some water. And you got to think we we are water, right? We're we're seventy percent water up until the day that we die. We start off with about ninety as a baby, and all our cells are water. They're ninety nine percent water. Our brains water. Our, our muscles are water. Every single part of us is water, you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. it's the biggest thing. You, you're not going to have a Ferrari and put shit fuel in it, right? So no. we're the Ferrari. So you need to put that good fuel in it. You yeah. need that quality water in there to sustain longevity of your life. Yeah. I have a scooter and I don't put shit fuel in that. <laughs> well, I drive a you and yeah. I don't put shit fuel no, in that, no. you know what I mean? No, it's what you put in, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. That's oh, so cool, mate. I love it. And for everyone – I'm not getting paid by high vibe water. <laughs> this is, this is not a spot. I just am absolutely passionate about um, people with really good energy, people who are really authentic, people who are really honest and are going after changing the world. And that's what the premise of one of the premises of this podcast was, was to help people become what they don't believe they can and watching and listening and learning from yourself and other people like your brother's coming on next 
uh, on the podcast. I can't wait to listen yeah, that, to his story. Yeah, that would be a good one. He's got a great story too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Very Everyone, resilient, you know what I mean? He's, yeah. he's been through a lot. He got caught up in the Melbourne lockdown and that kind of stuff and had yeah. some bad stuff happen to him and, and he came up here and he just started running and, yeah. and now he's an ultramarathon runner. And he hasn't he's stopped running. He yeah. just, he's a full forest gump. Yeah, he is a full forest gump, <laughs> isn't he? Well, incredible story. He did 33 marathons in 33 days, but yeah. we'll get to that. And on his episode. On his episode, yeah. absolutely. All right, so let's jump backwards and, like, explain, like, some of your childhood. Like, you had two amazing parents and four, three brothers. Yeah, three older brothers. Three, I was the youngest of the four the, boys. You are the youngest of the four boys. Yeah. Why didn't you fit? Uh, I just felt – it's kind of a hard one, you know. It was, it was, I was – I think I always thought differently. I was – it was never – I always questioned how you should do stuff. You know, as a kid you're told, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that or that. And I I always asked why. Like, why can't I do that? Or why is this that way? Or why is it that way, you know? And, and I always kind of got criticised for it and, and always was tried to conform into society and I just didn't fit into society. I just – I wanted different things, you know. All, my whole life I've, all I've ever wanted is financial freedom and time freedom to do what I'm passionate about. And I just felt like going through school, the teachers never had what I wanted, you know what I mean? They've been in the school system the whole life. They don't have financial freedom. They don't have time freedom, you know. And I'm learning from these people and I, I don't really want to learn from those people. So it was just a – I think it was just a different way of thinking and I got diagnosed with ADD and ADHD as a kid and then you have people saying, oh, you're, you've got illnesses and this, that and – and it's the old saying of uh, you can teach a fish to climb a tree but it's going to look stupid, you know what I mean, that old saying there. So, I mean, I was essentially that fish getting taught how to climb trees mm. and, and I was like, this isn't for me, you know. Mm. So it kind of stemmed from there, I think. And, you know, I always had good parents and they've never given up on me so I've been very blessed in that sense. Um, but, yeah, I got caught up in a, in a lot of bad stuff because I wanted to find my belonging and, mm. and that turned into a lot of crime and, and yeah. because I just I hated – I've always loved the universe but I've hated the world that I lived in. You yeah, know what so I mean? Like love the universe, like love the world, the, the globe and, and the thought, the idea of it. Yeah. But the society and the how's society. that – uh, yeah, which so I just want to before we go into what happens next, I just want to um, talk to you quickly about the diagnosis. Yeah, because I like I'm not a fan of all these diagnoses. I'm actually quite against diagnosing people with ADD and ADHD, and I get it. People have these things. The difference: ADD is attention deficit disorder. ADHD is attention hypertensive deficit deficit, deficit disorder. disorder yep. Yeah, and um, both of them, both of those things, if you took away the tag, they're just super creative people. They're, that's right. They're a superpower. They're a superpower. When you can channel it, it's a superpower. Like you look at me today and after everything that I've been through and I'm doing what I'm passionate about and yeah. I have the focus and yeah. I have the energy for it and I love what I do every day and I get up and I'm passionate about it. Yeah. But if I'm not passionate about something, it's just going to go over my head and it's – Yeah, so you, you, get di- you get diagnosed and there's a story I remember listening to about a kid who was just failing school and his mother was on his back, said, look, just go to SATs and he did them and he got – he didn't care less, he hated school – he came back with, I don't, know, I don't know scores, but a really, really high score. Well, that was like me. I had an IQ of, of 161 at 11. 
Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So, so that that's was, the creative side of it. It was quite intelligent and that's uh, what I would just – it was a different way of thinking, yeah. right? So he got his score back and he went on went, oh, well, I must apply myself and he went to university. He became a huge successful CEO, incredible business leader and, you know, made ridiculous amounts of success and business and money and so on. And then he got a letter 10 years later saying, we messed up your SAT scores. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, well, no, you, were, you were in the bottom. You got the wrong one. Well, so, so he believed that he was – and look at that mindset. That's the thing. And that's that's what diagnosis will do, you know, yeah. like, oh, you've got a syndrome. When we talked about this on our last podcast, we just released that language that people put around things and attach them to an IM, like an ADD. You've got ADD, so you're, you're fucked. Yeah, yeah, you're, that's You're right. a broken human. Yeah. So we can't help you and we're going to have to put you in the, this category. Yeah. And I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it either. And <coughs> and being put on medication as a kid and that kind of stuff, like I was on two, two – um, one, uh, one was like a catapress, which was which was a sleeping tablet, but I used to take two in the day to keep me focused. And then because I was so focused and, and so like rolled up that I would have to have a sleeping tablet at night and that went on for years. And then I got to about 12 and my parents were like, no more, he needs to come off it and we need to see how he was. And obviously I had a lot of problems then, like growing up through my adolescence and, and becoming a teenager and getting into high school and and obviously I went through it and, and went through a dark space. But, I mean, I've, I've come back out the other side, you know. I've done the full loop. Yeah. So let's hear more now. We were at, like, being diagnosed at school and then you've bailed out and didn't fit. What happened after that? After I got diagnosed or? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what was the next step? Like, I mean, I went through a lot of schools just because I didn't fit in and, and I, I just – I mean, I always had friends and I always had people that I could rely on but I just – as I said, I, I, I've always been quite independent in the way that I've thought and I, I haven't really cared what anyone else has thought about me and and I've just always tried to go on my way and, and create my own path. And, uh, I mean, it was probably a lot of ego as a kid too and, and a lot of people didn't understand me so I felt like I didn't really want to understand them also. Um, but it was just, yeah, as I said, I just didn't conform and it was that label and that being pointed at that you don't fit into society and you're a special case and you should be in this classroom and that kind of stuff. And But, I mean, I really gelled with some teachers that had what I want and I could, and I, I liked them, but other teachers I was just an absolute little shit, you know. Yeah. So it, I guess that's in life anyway. You, you uh, respect the people that you gel with and, and have what you want and, and that kind of stuff and a lot of them didn't. So I just didn't listen and I went through a lot of schools. I went through uh, I think three primary schools and I went through two high schools wow. um, and I didn't. F I finished in year 10. I did half year nine and, and ended up getting kicked out of, of one school and I couldn't come back into school till the next year and, and did about half a year 10 and then they didn't want me back in year 11. So I was pretty much on the streets and obviously I gave my parents a lot of grief during that time and, and they didn't know what to do. And, um, but as I said, they've never given up on me and I just had to forge my own journey. But, yeah, I got caught up in uh, a lot of gangs and violence and bikies because that's who I fitted in with, you know what I mean? They, yeah. they kind of had the freedom that I wanted and, and they were doing their own thing and, and it was more of a brotherhood to me and I was accepted with them. Um, so, yeah, I got caught up in a lot of bad stuff and, and uh, a few of my mates ended up shooting and killing someone and I got caught up in all that and 
got stabbed in the neck and bashed with a shotgun and I had bikies come to my house and I had to chase them down the street with shotguns and I was looking after my mate's kid while he was in jail and wow. that, the same thing was happening there. And yeah. I remember just being an 18-year-old kid, man, I have like these full-on 40-year-old bikies like coming to my house and, and I'll be running out the front with a shotgun in the dark and stuff and it was just a hectic time but... Sounds like a movie. Yeah, it was a movie. But I always had in the back of my mind, not in an arrogant way, but in a way that I was destined for something more. And I knew that this this path was very short-lived and a lot of my mates were going to jail and, and one ended up going to jail for 27 years, so he's still in there now. And um, They were going to jail, they were getting killed or they were, they were heavily on drugs and they were going in and out of rehabs. And I just woke up one day and just... And I didn't want it anymore. I ended up getting shot at and um, I came home. So one day I just ran home. I said to mum, I, I need to get the fuck out of here now. Mm-hmm. And uh, she goes, pack your bag. I smashed my phone and I just left. Wow. Yeah. Never looked back? Never looked back. Oh, Never looked back. How does it feel like you're obviously they, – they made you feel like you belong? They made so me feel like yeah. I belong. It was, it was a real brotherhood at the start. But once shit hit the fan and shit started going down, that your your brothers aren't your brothers anymore. There's very few that have your back in that moment, and I learnt that very quickly. Um, there was some people that I could rely on, but 99% of them I couldn't, and they all started kind of turning on each other because some people were dobbing each other in. You know, it really got heated. You know, you're you're fighting with a rival club, and you've got that, and then you've got the police involved. You know, and it's it's quite a hectic time. You're in the news. You're getting followed. Like I used to turn my phone. I would turn my phone off, and then I would turn it back on when I'd out, and I'd have police following me. Show you why I'd have cars. There'd be no cars on the road. All of a sudden, I'd turn my phone back on. There'd be cars following me. Wow. And uh, this was like, I was 18. You know what I mean? I remember sitting at the pub one day, and we we're, were causing a bit of trouble just on the street corner. And his undercover cop car pulls up and goes, "Elliot, settle down. We've been watching you all morning." And that's when I was like. Holy fuck, like I'm heavily on the police radar. 18, you know what I mean? I was a little 65-kilo kid, you know what I mean, with treadlocks and just a little rat. So that's kind of what woke me up and then all that kind of stuff happened and and went down a really dark path where I just had enough, you know, I wanted to get out of there. Yeah. To explain the moment because I think for people, we've heard it. We've heard it from the other side as well. We've heard it from people who have had real – mental illness and diagnosed with it, but hit it and they had a moment where it's time to shift life. Yeah. It's time right now. Yeah. So um, I don't know that I've ever had a moment like that. I've had, I've had I, lots of those. I, I've been very <laughs> – look, I, I can't say I haven't, but not one that heavy where I go, oh, that is it. The That's door, the 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 door is closed. Yeah. Yep. But – what was the mindset? Like what was the mo- – what does it feel like and what was the mindset behind, hey, like was it fear-driven What like, or was it like purpose-driven or what was the – I guess it was more so fear-driven of, of me not living my life to the full potential that, oh, that I wanted to live. Amazing. So I think it was that and it was a combination of things that had happened to that had got me there. It's not just one thing that just goes, okay, get out of there now. It was a combination of things. As I said, you know, I got stabbed in the neck, I got shot out, I got bashed with shotguns, you know, I had people turning on me. It was just this whole combination that it just got to a point where I was like, I'm done, I'm yeah, out, yeah. I'm out of fear. You know, I'm yeah. going nowhere and I'm going nowhere fast. It's going backwards. Yeah. 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 Well, that, what you said was amazing. It was like you're not living your life's potential. Yeah. And 
because I, I look at this and think that we all have this um, desire, like some of the basic human needs, love, connection, belonging. Like, though I know there's a whole bunch and there's different people with different philosophies about hierarchies and all that sort of stuff. But at the raw cut of it all is is connection, love and belonging. Yeah. And, and when those three go amiss um, – then all of a sudden we've suffered trauma and we don't know how to deal with it. Well, well we suffer trauma without yeah. that with them, but we do know how to deal with it better when we when we belong somewhere, we're loved and we feel connected. Yeah. So my thing is like you are out of alignment. Big time. Yeah. Big time. And so that's the point I wanted to get to. You said it and I went, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna echo that. that yeah. You were out of alignment with who you thought you should be. Correct. And it was time to go. It was it was definitely time to go. Yeah. Right. Wow. So where did you go? You, so, went, you went home? I went home. So I was living in… in, in uh, 18? Yeah, 18 year old. Uh, 18 and a half. Went home to my parents' house. It was, I don't know, like midnight, probably after midnight. And I just, I'd been shot at on the street. I was just walking down the street one day and I heard this… Ba, ba, ba. And I was just like, fuck. I just ran. I just ran as fast as I could all the way home. And uh, it was probably like a 15 minute run. Ran home, and like my shirt was like up up my, up against my shoulders and neck, and my sh- shoes were all all fucked up, and and uh, I was sweating. And Mum's like, what's, "What's going on?" And I was like, I'm, "I need to get out of here now. Like I've I've just been shot at." And uh, it's actually one of the first times I've actually openly talked about this on, on a podcast. Um, and she just said, "Pack your bag. Let's go. Let's get you out of here." Wow. And that's what happened. And I ended up moving up to Melbourne. And so we uh, were, you were in Geelong. I was in Geelong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in Geelong. Rough, tough. It was. It's. It's rough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, we, great town. Right, tough. Beautiful town to visit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not so much to live there. There's. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff. I think at the time that I was that I was growing up, Geelong was occupied like sixty percent of the of the prison system in Victoria. Sixty percent. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of people that went to jail from from Geelong. It was. It was quite rife. It's know. a real workers' town, isn't it? It was very blue collar. Yeah. And you know, you had a lot of places, big, big corporations and that kind of stuff that shut down, like Ford Motor and yeah. that kind of stuff. So a lot of drugs and gangs started to get involved. It was I mean, it was kind of like a mini Detroit in a way, you know what I mean? With okay. all, all everything that happened, you know, all these things started to shut down and mm-hmm. a lot of drugs started to come in and there wasn't a lot to do and and um yeah, it just it just really ramped up that kind of stuff and it was just well my world anyway, my world was very rife in that kind of stuff. Like everyone I knew was heavily involved in, in something, you know, whether it was running guns or, or being involved in bikies or drugs or whatever, you know, it was it was something you know, enforcing something, you know what I mean? It was always there was always something. It was nothing was ever positive. Yeah, right. <laughs> so your parents lived there? My parents lived there. My parents always been together, but my old boy used to live up in Melbourne, so he had an apartment up in Melbourne. And uh, he used to work up there during the week and come home during the weekends. So you, you bailed out of Geelong, went, yeah, up, went, went up, up to... Went up to Melbourne, tried to uh, apply for the army right. to get out of there. I tried to apply for the army when I was in Geelong, when I was going through all this stuff because I knew that I just needed a change. Um, but because of my background, they said, uh, we don't want to give you weapons training. To, to, this was in 2009, so I was 19. We don't want to give you weapons training. Don't reapply till 2019. So wow. that was 10 years they wanted me to reapply. And they said in that time you've got to give back to the community, do all this stuff. And uh, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to take that on the chin. And I was angry. Obviously I was angry about it because I wanted to change. I was like, well, fuck. And your I? background was because you were a part of an uh, organised crime. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and they could obviously see that and I was on the police radar and uh, I didn't have a great rap sheet either. So, um, yeah, I, I went and studied personal training. My brother, who's, who's going to come on, Jordan, yeah. he was a personal trainer. So I started working for him and, I mean, I really loved it. I just felt really stagnant in what I was doing. It wasn't my full passion. So two years went by and I had some really good clients and one was like a supreme judge and I had some lawyers and that kind of stuff. So I really got to ask them questions and really come back to society and, and actually start to learn like who I was and how life was and that kind of stuff because I hadn't really had that because I, I didn't want that, you know, so I was a bit more open now. And um, I met a guy who was a um, clearance diver for 20 years and he had told me about the French Foreign Legion. And at the time, man, I was, I was 21 and I thought, fuck, it's a whole nother world. I'd never been overseas. It was just this foreign thing to me. And, yeah, two, two years went by and it was still in the back of my mind Then I wanted to join the army. And uh, I ended up getting a whole bunch of references from a lot of my clients and uh, wrote a letter to the Chief of the Army, Chief of Defence, the Prime Minister, the Opposition Leader, um, and they all come back with really good letters for me with my references, um, but they said you have to go to the Defence Force Recruiting and, and reapply, and I did that, and, and uh, they said they rejected me again. Or they didn't reject me, they said you're going to have to go back to school. And I thought, I don't want to go back to school on a whim that I might get into the you army, might, yeah. you know. So that's when I kind of, I was 110 kilos. I was a, a power lifter at the time. Um, and I just changed my training. I went from power lifting to beach workout. So I bought a, a book called, um, actually I can't remember what it's called. It was by a guy called Stu Smith, which was a Navy SEAL. And it was a 12-week program. And if you pass that 12-week program, you had like an 87% chance of becoming a Navy SEAL based wow. on the criteria of the book. So there was a four-week period to start off with that, to introduction into that. And then there was a 12 weeks that. So I just started doing all that. I was swimming, running, beach workouts, getting up early. I ended up dropping weight and I got down to 85 kilos. Wow. And uh, – I didn't tell anyone, I only told my parents and my three brothers and a couple of friends that I was going to go to the, the Legion and apply. And, um, yeah, I booked my ticket. Before we get right into you going to France, um, I want to ask a couple of questions in amongst all this stuff here because there was there was obviously a liminal space. There was a, a period where you were in transition. Yeah, big time. Uh, out of, um, of that lifestyle where – they made you feel like you belong for a moment, but they didn't – you didn't really. No, I didn't really. And, no. And no one does in that world. No. No, no one. No one. But then you were just treading water and learning from your brother doing PT work. And yeah. Obviously very passionate about health. I want to know where did the passion for health come from because it's only advanced now. Yeah. The, the way you live your life and, and – Yeah. Health, health has always been a big part of my life. Um not so much when I was in my <laughs> the bikies, no. crime days. But uh, my family's always been healthy. Like my old boy's always been healthy, used to play AFL and that kind of stuff. So we always as a family were quite healthy and would run together and do stuff like that. So growing up I played AFL and a lot of sports. Um, so all of us, all of us brothers did, we all played AFL. Real part of your family culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially down in Victoria. You know, AFL's a big part of a lot of people's lives. Um, so that was always instilled in me of, of movement and, and health. Um, obviously the eating part wasn't much there, but the movement was. So 
getting into personal training was something that I wanted anyway, you know what I mean? I always felt good when I was moving and I, my head was clear and the clarity and that kind of stuff and the discipline was what I really liked. So that's what pushed me to be a personal trainer and I went through a lot of jobs in that period too, you know. I was yeah. a labourer, I worked at the post office, like I did new – I had about 20 jobs in that time which I kept getting fired from, you know, because yeah. I just didn't enjoy them, I didn't like them and I'd speak my mind and I got in a couple of fights actually in the workplace and – and Tell, uh, tell us. <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting away from that one. <laughs> well, I was just ego, you know what I mean? Obviously I come from that background of, of that egotistic, masculine, you know, seriousness, you know what I mean? Like it's – I was a very different person, you know. What you see now is is years and years and years of personal development and hard work on my mindset and that kind of stuff. So I was just an angry kid, man. Like just anything that I didn't agree with, I would just snap, you know. And and uh, there was plenty of that in the workplace. And as I said, I just had an ego of people that, that if they didn't have what I wanted, I just didn't want to listen to what they had to say, uh, right. you know. So it was, it was just a – it was – Ego. It was just ego. Ego oh. ain't your amigo. <laughs> <laughs> ego ain't your amigo. Yeah, I got a different spin because I think we're just at that point of life. We're not fully developed. Our brain isn't fully nah. developed, and so and we don't know who we are. No. You know, you don't know what the world is. Yeah. See, like I don't mind my ego now. Yeah, I, I have a good relationship, a healthy relationship with my ego, because my my ego just it doesn't want me to be exposed. Yeah. Because it'll always come from a place of don't say that, don't step across the line, they all think you're a wanker, all this sort of stuff where it's like I, I thank that now. I go, thanks. Obviously I'm pushing in a place where you can't handle it. Yeah. So I'm gonna, just going to let you sit there and mope while I'm going to go and do this anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> so rather than the well, fuck you ego, it's more like the well, I can, thank you, let's go. Yeah, yeah. I can. There was there was a big transition. There was a moment in my life that really that really changed that. Okay, and uh, it's a lot of what my values are set on now. So we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking the, forward to that because I've got, I've got one of those questions about around your values too, which is really important. Yeah. So you're PTing with Jordan. PTing with my brother it. Jordan. Like, yeah. But I, but I, it didn't fit all your boxes. Didn't fit all my boxes, you know. It was, it was obviously I didn't have the skills, I didn't have the the tools, so to speak, to talk to people properly and present myself well and that kind of stuff because I of, of my background that, that I had had, so I had to learn that kind of stuff. And it took me a long time to transition into that life. You know, I was very lost. I didn't have friends at all. I didn't have anyone that I could gel with because I felt like I didn't have anyone I could talk to that had been through what I'd just been through, you know. Um, it's psychological warfare what you basically go through yeah. in, in that time. So, so were you holding yourself back then? Would you would you put in walls up? Uh, I would say I would, yeah. I think it was just the ego thing that no one had been through what I had been through, you know, and looking back now it sounds stupid but that's how I just thought. Oh, it's so relevant. Though. Yeah. That's just how I thought, you know, like I'm I'm dealing with these corporate people and, and obviously my old boys was very corporate at the time and and um, my mum was come from a very loving family. Like all my, my whole family is a very loving family so not many people had been through anything that I had been through, especially down that very dark hole, you know. So I just – and I didn't really want to get help because I didn't want to speak to people that I didn't know, you know. I didn't want to go to psychologists or anything like that. I did do some counselling for the stuff that I – like when I had to go to court, yeah. some of my things were that to go and get counselling and that kind of stuff. And, and I mean, that was all right and they didn't 
find anything that was wrong with me, which was a good thing, you know what I mean? It was just a conversation, so that was all right. But as I said, I just couldn't get advice on what I needed to hear, you know. I just felt like I never resonated with anyone in that time from what I had been through. Have you found Have you found now? Uh, yeah, definitely, but I think that's more so for me and that's where the Legion comes in. That's really a lot of that has shifted my mindset and, and the values right. that I – live today you know amazing so finish with Geordie or Jordan yeah you you got yourself to the right weight yeah um fit ready to take on Dave Goggins yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> head to France with a few dollars in your pocket you didn't have much money from our conversation you're telling me I, I didn't. didn't I had 300 euro 300 euro that's all I took and over told your family told my family booked a ticket booked a ticket uh, I had a girlfriend at the time yeah um not for much longer obviously <laughs> No, nah, but I, I just said to her, we'd been together for for a few, oh, I don't know, not that long actually. We hadn't been together that long. But I just said to her, I need to do this or I'll probably resent you for the rest of my life if I don't go and do this now. So she was quite supportive of it. It's loving. Um, yeah. It really is a loving thing to do. It yeah. is like be honest and authentic. and Yeah, because I just knew it was something that I needed. It was I needed to scratch that that urge, I needed that adventure, I needed something different, you know what I mean? And and uh yeah, so I dropped the dropped down to eighty five. But well, you, but there was no certainty that you were actually even gonna get gonna get in into the French Foreign Legion. Right, you right. just went I'm yeah. going to France to try. Well, and that's right. But With I, 300 I, euros in your pocket. Correct. And no girlfriend anymore. No. Well, I mean, she tried to stay together, yeah, but yeah. it just didn't really work. But, yeah, I just uh, – I'd read a lot about it. I'd done a lot of research about it. It wasn't like I went in blind, you know what I mean? Like I did my research. I knew what I was getting into. I'd spoken to my mate who was a clearance diver who knew about it. Um, and, yeah, I just uh, took the clothes on my back and a little backpack and the 300 euros and my first ever passport and I flew to France and uh, I remember crying at the airport thinking, fuck, I don't know if I'm ever going to see any of my family again, you, you know, because you don't know. Like, I just don't know. And, um, yeah, I got over there and I, I spent two days in Paris first because I was like, this is the first time I've ever been overseas. I'm going to have a look around. Get some croissants, yeah, coffee. I, yeah, I ended up going to the um, the military museum there. It's one yeah. of the biggest military museums in the world. It got, dates back to like, it's got like 13th century stuff in there and 12th century stuff in there. And, and I spent all day there and I loved it and I just knew that I was really going to enjoy the Legion. And uh, I didn't have a phone or anything, so I just – I called my dad on – I think it was like the Sunday night because I must have flown in there on the Friday night. I got there. Oh, before that actually, this is a funny story. Before I left was the time that Russia and Ukraine were having a war. So oh. this was in 2014, 2013, 2014. Wow. And you remember that, um, that uh, passenger jet got blown out of the sky? Yeah. So my old boy comes and wakes me up. He goes, you sure you want to go? And I said, yeah, why? He goes, oh, just <laughs> a plane just got shot down the same route that you're going to go. And I said, I'd rather die going there than fucking not going. You well, know what I mean? And obviously passionate about going. Yeah, I really wanted to go. As I said, I had to scratch that itch. You know, I had to do something different that was not normal. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. that's just how I've always been. I've been very extreme in, in what I want to do. So... Yeah, I went over there and it was a Sunday night and I called my old boy and I just said, hey, Dad, um, I'm going to go to Legion tomorrow. If you uh, hear from me in a few weeks, I didn't get in. If you don't hear from me for a few months, I'm, I'm in. And he goes, all right, good luck, son. I hung up the phone and, and uh, how, how I got how, that. How would a dad take that? I, I don't 
I don't know. I'm trying to. Yeah, I'm trying to put myself in your dad's. He's obviously a very encouraging. He's man, very supportive. Very yeah. supportive. Very supportive. Imagine getting a phone call from your son saying, "All right, if you hear from me in a couple of weeks, I didn't get in. Yeah, that means I've got to wait a couple of weeks. But then if it goes past a couple of weeks, I got in. I got in. Or I, or you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. So yeah, and how I got there was that the the base was just outside of Paris. It's called Fort Lignogen. And uh, I didn't have my phone on me, so I went from each bus stop had a map on it. So I went from bus stop to bus stop to bus stop to find my way how to get there. Yeah. End up at these big gates, uh, knock on the door, and he said, "What do you want in French?" And I just said, oh, "I didn't even understand what he was saying at the time." And uh, I said, "I want to be a legionnaire." And he's like, "Okay, come in." He took my passport and everything off me, and and they take you off into this side room. It's this this just four walls, just a square room with a bench seat around it. How old were you? 23. 23. Oh, 24. Wow. Yeah, 23, 24. Um, and, yeah, I was pretty lucky though. I only uh, – because I've heard stories of people being in that room for 24 to 48 hours. I was in there for an hour at maximum. Oh. You know what I mean? There was a couple of other guys in there. They took us down to the base, walked us down the base and um, started testing us straight away, you know, mm. me, me, uh, mental, physical, psychological, so, medical. Yeah. Yeah, go through every one of them. Yeah, so we so we walked down to through the middle of the base. It's two big barracks at the end, about four stories high, big long building, stone, uh, big parade square before you walk into it. You actually walk under the parade square. It's like this this tunnel, and it's got cannons and all the legion memorabilia and yeah, stuff right. on it, all the all the signia. That would have been cool. It was cool, man. It was it was it was something special. And, uh, yeah, we had to do push-ups and, and pull-ups straight away. They go through your bag. They strip you down naked. They take everything off you. They give you – let you keep three pairs of jocks. They give you socks. They give you shorts and a T-shirt. Um, and then they go through you, ask why you're there. Then you go and sit in a room. So this went on for about a week. You just sit in this room. You sleep in these bunk beds with the guys there. It's just this full transitional period. Every Tuesday and Thursday is when they – pick the people and they send them down to the next base down in Marseille called Aubin, just outside of Marseille. And does that mean when you go down to Cordon Marseille? Yeah. Is that you're in? Uh, no. Oh, wow. No, no, no. So that, for seven days you're still – You're just going through the motions, you know. Yeah, mental, yeah, physical. Me, you're just sitting in a room all day basically. You're just waiting for your name to be called out and you get picked and then every Tuesday and Thursday morning they yell at your name, you line up in the corridor um, – and, yeah, you end up getting on a, a bus. They take you to, on a bullet train. They take you down to Marseille. I think it's three hours on the bullet train. So, I mean, even that was the experience, you know what I mean? Like mm. I'm, I'm doing all this cool stuff yeah, and I, yeah. just, I just always had the biggest smile on my face. I was like, this, this to me is adventure and I'm living, you know what I mean? But it's the unknown that's exciting to me, you know? Yeah. And I got to see, like I fell in love with French countryside. Like it's just so beautiful, all the, all the windmills and all the castles and yeah. the sunflowers, like fields and – it's just a beautiful country, and then uh, and you still weren't in the French Foreign Legion. Wasn't even in it then. Wasn't even in it. That was no. just the first week. And you had a smile on your face from here to here. Yeah. Finally, you're out of all this oppression. Yeah. Yeah. Something different, you know. Something what I mean, because all I knew was Geelong life, you know what yeah. I mean, and yeah. then the city life, you know. And I just always felt like I didn't belong in the city. You know, I was sick of being inside all the time. I hated the cold weather. You know, I just I was either in the gym or I was in a cafe or I was at home. You yeah. know, and I. Didn't have many friends, and it's just all aspects of life in the in the legion. You know what I mean? You're talking to people from Russia, Ukraine, 
like Afghanistan, you so know, all, Iraq. They, these guys are in the Legion with you. Well, they're all trying to they're all trying, trying to be to get, in the Legion, you know. So it's a whole group. So it's one hundred and seventy eight nationalities. Why is why is the French Foreign Legion so sought after? It's it's designed it's not really designed for Westerners. It's a last resort for a lot of people. The idea is to go to the Legion and after your five years you can get French citizenship and you can change your name if you're running away from something serious and become a new identity, become a new person and get your French citizenship. But also it attracts a lot of third world country people because of the money, right? To us it's nothing. It's 1,200 euro a month, $400 a week, nothing. You're putting your life on the line, 400 bucks a week. But to, to Africans and Ukrainians and Russians, that's a six-month wage to them mm. every single month. Mm. So they can send that back home and look after their family, you know what I mean? They're wealthy mm. to their family, you know, so they can really look after it. So that's the attraction there. Okay. But it's also the adventure, you know, right. because they do a lot of stuff. It's very secretive in what they do. You won't hear a lot about them, but, like, they're very active around the world. Okay, yeah, I've, I've heard little bits and pieces, not, not enough, though. Um, so you're on the bullet train? On the bullet train, heading down to Marseille, um, get off the bullet train, um, jump on another bus, rock up into their main recruitment base, which is all one, which is the, the epicentre of the Legion, you know. So that's where you come and go. That's where you first come, become a Legionnaire. Right. And that's where you uh, finish up your time and you leave and, and that kind of stuff. So you, you get off the bus, are you a Legionnaire? Nah. Oh, right. Nah, nah. No, no. So then you uh, you get off the bus, you go down into this underground room, stripped down naked, taking photos of you, tattoos, scars, everything. I think it was more to identify your body if you were to ever die or see what gang tattoos are related, all that kind of stuff. They take you through the, the system, yeah. strip you down naked, give you a little bag, toothbrush, soap, toothpaste, washcloth, towel, uh, you get to keep your jocks, keep your socks, you get one T-shirt, one pair of shorts. Wow. And then you go straight into um, aptitude testing, go up into another room, aptitude testing all on the computer, that goes on, all all that kind of stuff. Um, and then you go out into another room and you, and you stand in a corridor. Um, I can't remember actually what happened after that. I think you get you get assigned to your room and then basically you <laughs> – you like cattle each morning. You get called out in the yard. You got to stand in your parade. There's like a bell that goes off, and you got to quickly run and stand on the parade square and, and stand up tall. And so they they're instilling into you straight away. You know what I mean? Yeah. You get uh, it's more more physical testing, more mental, and it's more in depth stuff each week as it goes on. You get you get interrogated by the Gestapo. Wow. Uh, I don't know if many people know what the Gestapo is. Yeah, the a, German yeah, SAS. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, the French secret police, which French a lot of police, yeah. a lot of the um, Legion traditions are post SS traditions wow. because a lot of the SS soldiers fled Germany and went to the Legion to escape their war crimes. Oh. Because they could change their name. Wow. So that's a lot of their traditions in there. So it's quite a – it's a brutal place, man. Mm. It's it's this weird social experiment. It's it's a bit of background is it started in 1831 and, and King Louis Philip the fifth or fourth or whatever he was at the time in 1831 – 
there was a lot of civil unrest in Europe at the time and there wasn't much going on, but there was a lot of soldiers on the street that were drinking and fighting and he was like, how do we stop this? So he banded together the Legion and banded all these misfits together and created the Legion with right. it. So that's how the Legion started. It okay. was a band of misfits yeah. and it was his own organisation and then all the way up until the 60s and in the 60s Charles de Gaulle actually was the president of France at the time tried to pull the Legion out of Algeria because he didn't want him there anymore, but the Legion had just fought 11 years of war there and buried so much of their dead there that the Legion didn't want to leave. Mm. They didn't want to leave their brothers behind. So they actually tried to assassinate Charles de Gaulle. Oh, wow. But it got cooped. And um, th they ended up bringing the Legion closer to France and become under the umbrella of okay. the French government and the French army. Okay. So that's what a lot of the traditions and then obviously you had the, the Nazis and that kind of stuff as well. So yeah. it's quite a, it's a, it's a dark place, man. Yeah. And uh, i got a funny story about the, the um, assassination attempt actually. On my graduation day I, I actually got to meet these guys, you know. It was one of the big – it was like a – must have been like a 40th or 45th anniversary or 50th anniversary or something, but they were there. People that went to jail for the crimes were there, man, and I got to talk to these oh, guys. Really? Yeah, yeah. That would have been an interesting conversation. It was fascinating, you know. So I was a part of that culture. You're a part of a 200-year culture. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's amazing. It's insane. So, yeah, back to it. We did all the all the testing and, and that kind of stuff. You're out in the yard and you're running around and you, you're – you get you get treated like a piece of shit, you know what I mean? It's one-minute cold showers while you're getting yelled at, kicked, punched, you name it. I actually got sent off to – the Legion have their own hotels. So actually quite good in that sense that if you've got nothing after the Legion that they'll look after you. So they'll send you to different camps and stuff and they make wine and they make souvenirs and it helps generate income for the Legion so okay. that they can fund a lot of the stuff yeah. because they're they're – own funded, you know yeah, what I mean? Right. They, they rely on different government contracts and that kind of stuff to get by. So they don't have the resources like a lot of other militaries have. Yeah. So you're very independent. So I actually got sent off to a Legion hotel, which was right on the water of Marseille, you know, even though that I was like, I was working like a dog from like 6am to 6pm at night, cleaning dishes and that kind of stuff. And you're always cleaning. You always, they call it Commando Bellier, which is like Commando Mop because you're always <laughs> mopping. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember like we, we stayed in it. There was uh, two French guys, another fella, I can't remember where he was from, and me. And I was I kept having this run-in with this French dude and we got into a lot of fights together, you know, because he loved to fight and I loved to fight and we were just always blowing for that whole week and we were always contained and in the same room together. So we always – his name was Esne. And uh, always getting into trouble. But I just remember, man, like looking out the window and seeing France and looking at the water. And even though I felt like I was trapped, I felt free at the same time too, you know. Mm. I'm doing shit that most people couldn't even comprehend, yeah. you know what I mean? And then, uh, yes, I did that for about a week. And uh, then I went back to Auburn, which was the recruitment centre, and more testing, more testing. How long is this going on? Went on for, that went on for two weeks. Wow. So it was three weeks total of testing every day, you know what I mean? Just f physical, mental, psychological, mm. medical, just more in-depth every See time. See if you'll give up. Yeah, and just mind games. Lots of mind games, standing outside for hours. You know, it's like the old saying, hurry up and wait. That's the mm. army. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. So they'd ring the bell and you'd run. But there was different stages. There was there was a blue stage, black stage and, and a red stage. 
and uh, ended up getting to the red stages where you actually get your fatigues and that's the first stage of you actually starting to become part of the military. You're not a legionnaire yet. Wow. You're not a legionnaire yet but you you get your fatigues and that was a really defining moment for how did, me. How did that feel for you? Yeah. Amazing, yeah, to, to be able to wear the legion fatigues, you know. Um, even though I wasn't a legionnaire. Do you still feel that emotion now? I do, yeah, yeah, I can feel it. I can feel it. Yeah, good. You know, reliving it. And I, and I don't talk about it a lot, you know. Yeah. Um, it's probably because I'm sick of hearing my voice about it all the time, you know what I mean? No. <laughs> and people always but ask I feel questions. very honoured that you don't, you, you're talking to us about it. So. Yeah. That's cool. I appreciate being here. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then you end up, once you become, once you get to that rouge stage, which is the red stage, they chuck you on another bus and they send you off to the farm. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't tell you where the farm is. I've got no idea. <laughs> um, and that's four months of basic training. Whoa. So, and that's when you start to become, even then, the start of that, you're, you're, not, still a legion, not. you're not a legionnaire. Nah. What makes you a legionnaire is you've got to do the Kepi march and it's about 180K walk in three days. So it could be up to 180Ks, it could be less than that, but you just don't know. But you walk for days wow. and days and you have only what's on three your back. Three days. Three days. Only what's on your back. You sleep where you fall. You don't have anything because, as I say, you don't have the, you don't have the luxuries like every other no. military because you don't have the funding. Yeah. And their motto is march or die. You know what I mean? You either walk or you get left behind you die. Mm. And um, another tradition for them is you send in the legion first. If they die, who cares? It's a bunch of foreigners. If they succeed, you give glory to the French government. So, oh, that, so right. that's it, right? They right. instill into you that there's there's something like thirty four thousand dead legionnaires out there. They've been involved in every war since eighteen thirty one. Wow, every single war. Um, so there's a, so that's the legion is your homeland, and you get that once you pass that test, you get to stand on the parade square, and you go legio with your hat down by your side. Patria, Nostra, and then you put the kepi on your hat and that means the legion is my homeland wow. and that's when you become a legionnaire, when you get to wear that kepi, you know, the white hat that they have, yeah, yeah. the toilet roll hat with the peak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's when you become a legionnaire. Wow, so that process for you, four months? Yeah, that, just the farm was four months. Just the farm. And then the three weeks before that as well. And, and then you had to do the walk. And then you got to do the walk. After you finished all your basic training, Four months plus the three weeks to start with. Yep. You then do the walk. You do the walk. And then. It's a little bit before you finish it, but it's during that, it's towards the end. But I mean, it's, it's, the training itself is quite intense, man. It's, it's so mental. It's such a mental game. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, Imagine. You're living in like this barn house, like you're, you're in the middle of nowhere. And for me, I didn't really speak the language. And mm. We had a really good lieutenant who actually cared about us, but I heard stories from other battalions and that kind of stuff where they just did not give a fuck, man. Oh, really? They did not care if you didn't speak the language. But our, my, our lieutenant was a young fella. And he actually really cared about us. So we got French lessons and that kind of stuff. So we got to learn the language. But it was still quite brutal, man, you know. But did you feel like giving up? No. I didn't feel like giving up, no, because I I knew what I was there for wow. and it was something that I had wanted to do. Focused and there on the was, prize. Yeah, it was resilience and I knew it was mm. a time frame, you know. I knew that time wasn't forever. Mm. Uh, I remember counting down the days though. I remember it was like 55 days yeah. and there was like 54, you know. So I remember counting down the days. 
Um, but it's it's amazing training, man, for resilience. Yeah. Like you you learn and craft magar, and you learn yeah. how to fire weapons and yeah. and throw grenades and and yeah. brotherhood and yeah. and bonding, you know, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And like, yeah, so understanding the word resilience um, means to be able to, and you would understand really well because of your fitness and your journey of fitness. It's to be able to come back to yeah your your resting place, yeah. whether it's emotional physical, spiritual, whatever it is. So with that sort of training, they're stretching your resilience out each time they stretch the rubber band further. Yeah. So you're actually coming back yeah. to a higher place each time. Yeah. So they're building that base with you over that five months. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, it's That's crazy. Amazing. It was amazing. So, so you did. You got graduated. I graduated. Yeah. I stood on the parade square and this was a defining moment which will go back to that ego death um, or just what instilled the values into me. With every other military out there today, once when you graduate and have that ceremony, you get to invite all your friends and family. So there's validation there and you get the love from your family and friends and they get to yeah. say congratulations. In the Legion, there's none of that. No. When you go Legio Patria Nostra and put the kepi on your hand, you look around, it's all it is is your brothers by your side. There's no one else there and you've all been through the same thing. So you don't need to say congratulations. You don't get that validation. So to me that was a defining moment that thought I've just done this by myself, for myself. I know so deep down who I am now mm. that I don't give a fuck what anyone else thinks about me and I don't need to validate or sell myself on anything anymore. You know what I mean? So that's a br brilliant way, like some of the stories we've had so far, in this um, series of resiliences have been – they're all very different. But the, the fact that you have gotten yourself to a point where no more external validation is needed. Yeah. I need to belong to myself first. Yeah. I need to love myself first and yeah. I need to have connection with myself first. Yeah. Those three basic needs we're talking about. They need to come first and that's the real building of resilience. And it's the – like you say, the death of the ego but the disassociation of ego from – what I need. From external sources. Yeah, from external sources, yeah. Yeah, and, and – and So uh, is that where your values really started becoming – Yeah, because I used to treat my body like shit, you know what I mean? I was so angry at the world and I was so angry at myself back in the day with going through growing up and that kind of stuff, you know, the drugs and all that kind of stuff. I just used to treat my, my body like a brothel, you know what mm, I mean? It was mm, just mm. – it was – I never – I never – Gave it value. Mm. So this was the point that I actually started to value who I was, my mindset, my body, you know mm. what I mean? It really changed who I was and, and my values. And and now my values are health, wealth, discipline and happiness. And mm. it's the four values that I live by. Yeah, health, wealth, discipline. Yeah. And, and happiness. And if you don't fit those categories, then you just there's not much time that I spend with you, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Because they come first. Yeah. Yeah, true alignment. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, super powerful. Let's get to the end of this French Foreign Legion and, and get to where you are today. Um, and then I've got a few questions I want to ask you on all of it. So in, you finally got in and then how long were you in for? I was in there for a couple of years. So when did your dad hear from you? I called him. I got to call him probably three months in total after. I had to send him, an, I had to send him a letter in the beginning and it was only, it was, it was just a template email, uh, a template letter. And it was, hello, 
I'm in the Legion. I need you to send me. I need you to send me a copy of my birth certificate, and that was it. That was it. That was all we were allowed <laughs> to send. It's not like so. Uh, that was the first letter that they got. So uh, they probably thought, "Who is this guy?" You know what I mean? Like, what have they done to him? But then, because you're not allowed nothing in the league, you're not allowed to listen to the radio, you're not allowed to read the newspapers, you're not allowed to watch TV, you're not allowed to make phone calls, nothing. So you're isolated from the whole world for a very long time. I think it would be really good for society. For, oh, for, for you just don't know what's going on, man. The whole, the whole world yeah. could be at war. You don't even know. Yeah, disassociate yourself from media for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. which was amazing for me. It's yeah. probably what I oh, needed. Yeah, everyone needs it. Um, and you're just consumed in this fishbowl of men and training and masculine yeah. stuff, you yeah. know what I mean, which is what I loved. Um, yeah, so then I got to call. I called my dad, I think it was, and I said, hey, Dad, I'm in the Legion. Wow. And, uh, you would have been proud. Yeah. Yeah. So, so was Mum. Yeah. Um, yeah, they would have been proud. Yeah. yeah. I guess your brothers would have been too. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so I got to call them and, and have a little chat and it was a, a very rare occasion that I got to call them because it, they were eight hours behind. So it was yeah. just always I was either getting up and they were going to bed or vice versa. So... It was a difficult time and I felt very isolated um, and I was only ever come across two other strains in my time that I was there. One was from Brisbane, one was from Sydney. So I didn't have any of that yeah. connection with anyone else. It yeah. was, I, found, I found a good mate there who was Marine, who's still one of my best mates now. He lives in Austin now um, and he was someone that, I, that we really got to know each other and we become brothers. Um, but other than that, there wasn't, there wasn't many others, you know. I like the idea of... So we grow up, and it is. I'm not an expert. I, I've no uh, gained expertise on any of these subjects. I just know because I've lived it. Right. Yep. So we we grow up in cultures, and they shape us big time. And what it seems to me that's happened to you in the French Foreign Legion is they knew that they they knew that you were coming with an Australian culture. And they would have looked at your background a little bit. They're not stupid, of course. Yeah. And they would have pinned everything that you needed to break every bit of that culture that you had off you. Yeah. So then they can shape you into who they wanted me to be. Well, the man that you are. Yeah. Like the dangerous man that knows how to choose good and evil. Like the man that knows, like, I think Jordan Peterson says it this way. He says, We need dangerous men. Dangerous men are the, are the men that know. What's right and what's wrong. Well, that's right. And they choose what's right yeah. over what's wrong. Correct. And they know that they can choose wrong. Yeah. And that's a lot of my values now that yeah. I, I know deep down what I am capable, capable of. of. Yeah. But I don't need to betray that because I know if it comes, push comes to shove and I need to bring that out, that there's no there's no challenge for me to bring that out. But I'm always going to show up with love yeah. first. First. You and know that, what I mean? And I think that's what makes us dangerous. So I think that's what makes men dangerous is that I can see the shit. I know what I've been through. Yeah. I'm going to choose love. Yeah. I'm actually really going to choose this action. And so, because I've seen so much darkness too, you know mm. what I mean? Like the, they they train you in a way that you do become an animal. Like you watch video after video, footage after footage of people dying, getting mm. shot, bleeding out, like how quick you, a, the human can die, you know what I mean? Like mm. I, I remember one in particular was – we had to watch this video. I went for like a minute and 38 seconds and it was this guy going crazy and there's there three guards there and they kept saying, get back, get back, get back. And the guy just kept going crazy. He just shoots this guy in the leg, right in the, in the thigh. The dude bled out in 30 seconds. Yeah. And it's like that's how quickly you can die, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So we know how bad things can get. Yeah. 
And because we've seen how bad it is and actually live some of this stuff too, like I ended up in a mountain engineering unit, so I learned all about explosives and the way that they go about their explosives and and some of these people, they, they'll, they'll blow up an area and then they'll bring in an ambulance and the ambulance will have explosives in it. So they'll wait for everybody to come into the area and then they'll blow up the area again, you know what I mean? So we got to see this stuff firsthand, mm-hmm. you know. And so we know how bad humanity can be. So we, we don't like to be that way, you know. Yeah. We've always got to choose love because that's what brings us together. You it's know it's I mean? amazing to hear from someone like yourself who's been through that journey to have all of that perspective of not fitting in, being diagnosed, still um, wanting to resist conformity, which, you know, it's just part of me as well. I'm a big nonconformist. So if someone makes me conform. I'm like, I know, big fuck you. I'm yeah, not yeah, that. yep. To having this perspective that, you know what, the first action is love. Yeah. Love first, love always, you know. Yeah. And so that that for me is like understanding that we grew up in these cultures, but there's lots of things in our cultures that aren't healthy. Yeah, big for, time. For us and it doesn't really need to be a part of who we are and what's shaped you as a man is a lot of the stuff that's happened in the French Foreign Legion. You were there for how long? I was there for a couple of years and then I ended up coming home. Um, I just – Well, you, you finished? Yeah, I did what I need to do there Yeah, and then I came home. Um, how did that feel leaving? I mean, it was a, it was bittersweet. It was bittersweet. Um, but, I mean, it was time for a new journey. I, I, had, I had worked on myself. I would worked on my mindset. I got everything that I needed out of the Legion. I, I, I took it so far mm. and I had started using my brain for actual good. Mm. And I, a book that changed my life was The 4-Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss that yep. I had read in there. Mm. And I knew that I wanted to give value in a positive way. You know, the Legion can be very negative. Armies can be very negative. It's that very masculine, that type of behaviour and there's a lot of negativity in it. Even though you're trained and that kind of stuff, there's still that obviously egotistical kind of stuff and, and the negativity of death and, and yeah. your mates dying and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And and I didn't – it was – it kind of felt like I was coming back to where I used to be with the gangs okay. and that kind of stuff. I okay. kind of felt like I was back there again. So I knew for my growth that I had to get back out there but use what I had just learnt. You know, I, I just I want to I want to touch base in one of the trainings. You know, what I mean, with resilience, going back to resilience, yeah. like we used to have to fight each other. We'd have a two meter by two meter square, and we used to have to fight each other. Full just punch the shit out of each other for two minutes. And if you didn't do it for two minutes, you went until you did it for two minutes. Wow. So we that's what the kind of training was. It was real, just warrior kind of stuff, yeah, you know. And I used yeah. to get teamed up with this Russian ex-boxer, so he just used to bash the <laughs> shit out of yeah. Every time, oh, no. but I learned how to protect myself. Yeah, you know you what I mean? But I never want to fight against yeah, him. What do they say about boxing? Is don't get hit. You know? <laughs> oh man! And I just could not see. Like I could take it to the head, but as soon as he got me in the body, man, I just dropped like a sack of shit. And I was like, <gasps> and I remember sergeants just pulling me out of the square, and be like, "Jennery, you're done." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm done." <laughs> At least you went down swinging, though. That's the thing. Like, Always. That's two minutes. Yeah. So I mean, that was that was it. I mean, I love that stuff, but I just I wanted to make a change, a different impact. Yeah. And I knew that I couldn't do that in the Legion. Yeah. You had to go through that though, physicality to get to that. I had to reset my values and everything else and reset my mindset. Well, I hugely honour you for doing what you've done. Thank you. Because I think when it comes to PD, when it comes to personal development, 
there's a lot of psychology around personal development, and and I you know I'm not a, I'm not against it. I think it's all good. People who want to better themselves, I'm a big fan of it. I'm a big fan of doing it for myself. But without some sort of physicality, without something that's actually going to push you so far out of your comfort zone, yeah. Without that real test, and I and I wouldn't be sexist here. I think it's relevant for both male and female. I believe so too. And um and I think without that thing, sometimes we don't know what we've got in us. And then I, the boxing thing is huge. I, look, I love boxing. I had a did a boxing challenge with a the last guest actually Gordo yeah right and um it was 10 weeks or 12 weeks of training like a professional boxer and then we had a grand event at the casino where we all fought one yeah, of our nice. stuff and I retired undefeated how long did you go hey yeah <laughs> <laughs> one fight but no. yeah right. but, um, no but the thing that the thing the common theme is that do you know you've got it and it was this time where you, you can't hide in the ring so you can't right. you've got to put yourself in places, in rooms, in spots. For you, as the French Foreign Legion, that's a ring where you can't hide anymore. Yeah. You're going to be exposed. Yep. You're going to be exposed firstly to yourself and you're going to look at yourself and go, do I love myself or do I hate myself? And that, it's okay if I do. It's okay, it's okay either way. But to personally develop, I need to get okay with myself and then move on. Yeah. So I hugely – honour what you've done and you don't need my honour, mind you, you've got your own thing going on which I also am very envious of because I, I like that style of thing myself and I like, I carry it myself first. Yeah, and it's also going through that reset uh, resets a lot of how you think, you know what I mean? Like mm. having everything taken off you, you know, mm. like not allowed to have anything yeah. really makes you think what makes you happy, you yeah. know what I mean? So when you come back from something like that, yeah. you're so grateful to be able to walk down the street and get a coffee from the cafe or, mm. or go for a walk or go to the beach, you know what I mean? So you're, you're, you just find so much more like enjoyment out of the little things yeah. because you haven't you haven't had that and yeah. you've realised that having everything taken away from you, you don't need anything to be happy. So like that two years without a phone, I think the common the, – the now statistics is most people can't go 13 minutes without looking at it. Yeah. And that's a general statistic. You know, there's some people who are better at it than others. And um, so you, you're coming back to having – Every, what, what do I really need? Yeah. Oh, that's right. And yeah. I don't need much. Love that. Yeah. yeah. So you come home. So I come home. I uh, didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, ended up getting involved in network marketing. So I started selling travel packages. Yeah, nice. Um, and I just started doing a lot of personal development. That company was a real blessing for me. It was all about personal development. They had a really good training program. And I just started traveling the world and doing personal training, uh, personal development all around the world. Yeah. And I just met some really good people around the world and got to connect with some people. And um, that went on for about four years. And then... So you were 24 when you went in. Yeah. 26 when you came out. Yeah. And then Yeah, you, yeah. 20, I was 25 when I came out. 25 yeah. when you came out. Um, and then spent four years doing spent it. about four years doing... Doing so network you, marketing. You've lived a life before 30. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. and From then, bikies to friggin' personal training to, to French foreign legend to travelling the world. Yeah. All before you're 30. All before I was 30. So, yeah, I I, um, I went to Norway one day by myself because I just love travelling by myself, you know. Went to Norway to, to hike for two weeks by myself 
and uh, it was an amazing time and I got to see some amazing landscapes and I just slept in the car and just cruised around Norway and, wow. and did some things that most people wouldn't do and and I came home to Melbourne one day and I just thought, I hate Melbourne. I hate it. You yeah. know, it's cold. It's miserable. Yeah, so yeah. I got back on the Thursday night. Has the best football team in the world though, Collingwood. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what about Geelong? I uh, wasn't going to mention that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I got back Thursday night and I booked a ticket Friday morning and I moved up here. And Geordie was already up here? Jordan? No, it was just me. Just you. So you came up first? Yeah, I came up first. Yeah. So I, I came up. And what did you do when you got here? Uh, I did some numerous here, jobs. Here is the Gold Coast, by the way. That's right, the Gold Coast. Yeah. I did numerous jobs. Yeah. Uh, I did some labouring and that kind of stuff in the beginning. Uh, I was really trying to just work on myself and what I wanted to do. Uh, I knew I was, always wanted a business. Um, my old boy bought into Justin Lane and I had um, I had some some interest in that and I started working at Justin Lane and, and uh, then I ended up because I wasn't allowed my security ticket till I was 29 so because I had convictions. So once they all finished up, I ended up going to get my security. Okay, cool. And then I ended up head of security for Netflix working on the movie, so I started looking after like Chris Hemsworth. Th- th- this is the first Taylor. conversation we had. This is the first conversation we had, <laughs> and then it's gone from there all the way back. Yeah. And I, I actually had forgotten about this. Was this was all in the ice bath too, This was all it? in the ice bath, yeah. <laughs> this was all in the ice bath. So you – then became head of security for Netflix. For Netflix. So all did, the big movies and everything. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I worked on a one called Spiderhead. And uh, this was all in the midst of COVID, at the very start of COVID. So I wanted to get out of Justin Lane because I just I wasn't about it. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to enforce anything that yeah. my values weren't aligned with. Mine, so as I said, it's health, wealth, discipline and happiness. Yeah. It didn't align with me. So I went into that line of work and, and that was – and you would have got to meet some amazing. I got to meet some really cool people, yeah, and some probably some brats as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's a funny industry, the movie industry, because like eleven different departments that all come together for the same goal, yeah. but they all think that they're better than everyone oh, else. Wow. You wow. know, so it's it, yeah. it's kind of it was bizarre to me coming from a military background where you all work together. Yeah, and I was like, this is a bit retarded, but yeah. anyway, um, yeah. So I started doing that, and then I did that for for six months straight. I was working every day, minimum 12 hours a day. I was on set. I was there at 5.15 in the morning and minimum 12 hours. Some days I was there 20 hours. Wow. You know, and just kept backing it up, backing it up and, and just kept doing it. Um, and then I actually schmoozed my way into for me just talking the talk and I actually ended up getting on the movie. Oh, did you? So I did 11 days of filming as an inmate. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm that doesn't really scenes. suit your – that doesn't really align with your no, values. I'm going to hang you out to dry that one. <laughs> well, it's it good. You, so you actually, it was something different, you yeah, know what I mean? So, so you got on the movie. I know, getting on as an inmate, yeah. So here, here you are saying that like, you couldn't talk to people earlier on. Uh, by the time you get to Netflix, you yeah, can talk to anyone. I could talk to anyone. <laughs> talk yourself into getting yeah, on the movie. Yeah, so everyone knew my name. There was 400 staff there. Wow. Everyone knew who I was. Did they really? Yeah. That's so yeah. good. And that's because I just remembered everyone's name. Yeah. You know, and I'd always give them time of day, you know. I, even though I was head of security and I had a lot of stuff going on and I had 12 guards also working under me and then I had to look after everyone else as long as the, as long as the A-listers and that kind of stuff. I always gave people the time of the day, yeah. always, you know, and that was just something that was instilled in me through network marketing that you just always – got two ears for a reason, you know. You just listen, just listen. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you, I say that in a way that 
if it's against your values or something that you don't agree with or it's it's something negative or whatever, then I'll cut the conversation short. But most people are quite genuine in, in the way that they speak and they just want to have a chat and learn about who like who you are and that kind of stuff. So I always give people the, the benefit of the doubt. And, uh, yeah, then I ended up buying High Vibe Water. Yeah, there you go. What a journey. So Netflix finishes and then – You've gone. There's a little transition period there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And how's the business going? Yeah? Business is going really well. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, just growing the business. Uh, love what I do. Love events. Love talking to people. Yeah. Love the health aspect of it all. You know, love that it creates longevity and, and opens people up. And in, in my opinion, water is the smallest thing to change that makes the maximum benefit in your life. You know, it's, it's the gateway for a lot of change. You know, you start to feel good and you want to work on your mind. You want to work on your finances, you know, it just all snowballs from there and and it's all positive. So I have this question floating around the back of my head for a while. It's actually been two weeks since I started working on your stuff. Because when I look at your story, there's, there's an element that I, I don't know that you, knows that you probably do um but it seems to me that I'm, i'll just ask a question why is respect so important to you uh that's a good question i just feel like i always give people the time of day so i feel like i should be taught the time of day and as a kid i just felt like i was never respected yeah. it was always i was pointed at and always made out that i was the bad person or the bad kid and that kind of stuff and i never got to have my say when I was a kid, so I just believe that respect is a big value and aspect that all people should have. You know what I mean? And it takes away the ego. Again, we're coming back to the ego. It's it's. I don't give a fuck what you've been through or who you are. Like I could walk around and I've been the legion. I could fucking kill you with my bare hands, but I don't do that, man. Because I don't need to do that. Because I I know who I am deep down. That I just want to come to you with love and I'll respect you. And You know who you want to be deep yeah, down. You know yeah. who you are and you want to be. That's right. So I just feel like respect is a big thing. You should always be polite to people. So with the respect early on in life, you didn't receive the respect, you see, received diagnosis. Yeah. And whether it was the ADD or ADHD or it was the teacher going, well, I was, well, this I was is always looked are. at the problem, yeah. 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 And so there was no respect then and that's turned you on a journey away. Yeah. So the square peg in the round hole may not so been so much of a square peg in a round hole. If I was understood a lot more, if you, you know, and given the more. time of day. Yeah. And just ask questions like what's actually going on, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's so important for us in society to do that. Like you've obviously turned a full 180 degree from where you were. But then I have to say, have you? Like, I, think, I think I've done a full 360. Full 360. There you go. All yeah. the way back around. All the way back around. It's, could, it's every every part of my journey has got me to where I am now. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I've I've gone from one extreme to the other extreme and now I've come back into the middle and I bring both of them things together. Yeah, that's you know? beautiful. And that's who I am now, you know. Yeah. So having people – and it's really important, like the message is important to build resilience. Let's not think about ourselves. Let's think about the next generation. Let's think yeah. about planting that tree. But one of the big things is we need to understand people. We are not the same. We're never born with the same things. Correct. We've all got different makeups. We're all We've all got our own demons. Everyone's all, gone through something. That's right. And if we just try and have this one cookie cutter reaction to everything. Yeah then we're going to 
put we're going to diagnose people and then obviously send them on a path and you obviously take radical responsibility for every part of your action and everything i don't hear one victim tone in your your conversation at all and i love that about you and it's that's nice energy to to rub off on so you had every right to though because you were diagnosed and you were tagged and you were told that stuff, but you've gone after change. Well, I just always believed that I wasn't that person that people would say I am. You yeah, know what well, I mean? I go. always believed that I wasn't that. Yeah. So take that one. Take that one, everyone, because you're not. You're not that person that people tell you are. You are always who you are. Well, correct. And you got to think, like, people know 2% of you, you know what I yeah. mean? Like school they and all that kind of stuff at work, they only see a certain side of you. They don't know your whole – picture you know what I mean your whole 100% of who you are so they can only make judgments on what they see Mm. but you know who you are you know who you want to be you know how you want to live your life Mm. so and that's what's important Mm. so um what would you say to your 10 year old self keep going keep going yeah keep moving forward keep moving that's what I say to my 32 year old self (laughs) (laughs) but what would would he have needed to hear that? Yeah, probably. Mm. You know, because times were tough. And, you know, I've, I've thought about giving up a lot of times. But it's I've always been so stubborn enough and I don't know if it's just the trait that I've always had and, and probably the army instilled that into me. It's, it doesn't matter how many times you fall, it's, it's how quick you can get back up, you know, and I'm a big believer in when something's not going your way or like if, if something's really bad or that kind of stuff, I always sit in it. But I'll sit in it for three minutes maximum. You know, I'll sit in it, I'll feel it, I'll debrief it, I'll find a solution and then I'll move the fuck on. There you go. You know, I won't I won't look. I only look back to see how far I've come. That is it. Yeah. You know, every day is a journey for me. Every day I'm showing up for myself and trying to be the best version of me and that's all I've done for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Darkest part of the cave. So uh, Joseph Campbell has this quote which I anchor a lot of my life off and a lot of my own personal development off is uh, – the, the freedom we most seek is in the darkest part of the cave we most fear to go. Yeah. But don't fucking stay there. That's right. Yeah, because a lot of people go, well, I'll go into that dark part of the cave and I'll keep it dark Yeah. rather than bringing any light in there and exposing what's in there and moving on with life. Yeah. You know, so uh, kudos, mate. You've Thank done you. really well. Um, how do you look after yourself? Like what is, a, what is a day in a routine? You know, how do you physically – and emotionally look after yourself. Um, how do I look after myself? Yeah, how, what, what's your my day to day? And and I'm not just I'm talking about spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Like, yep. Well, how do you look after yourself? Uh, it's pretty militarized. Um, get up about five thirty. Normally go for a walk or go for a run. I'll go and have breakfast. Then I'll go to the gym and do a do a workout, either legs or upper body. I just do an upper body or lower body split. Then I'll get stuck into work. Uh, I'll smash that out most of the, the arvo, uh, most of the day. Um, then I have a little break about three or four and I'll go to the beach or I'll go catch up with someone and have a good chat. Um, I mean, every day's a little bit different. But that's kind of my staple. And then I'll get stuck back into work till about eight o'clock. I do a, that's my Monday to Friday pretty much. Um, I'll have a sauna in there always and I'll always try and get an ice bath in there too. Yeah. Sauna is – I'll always have a sauna every day. Yeah. Uh, infrared sauna at P3. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't, we don't mind that plug. P3 are phenomenal. We love that place. Yeah. Um, 
And then on the weekends, I do a lot of events, man. I do a lot of events for High Vibe. So I'm always around good community. It's always kind of breathworks and ice baths and, and men's health and, and just always being around a really good community. Mm. I'm always reading stuff. I'm always listening to stuff. Like I'm listening to Tony Robbins' Life Force at the moment about longevity and that yeah, kind of stuff. Incredible so book. Just always trying to improve mind, body and soul, always, you know. it's As I said, it's health, wealth, discipline and happiness and, and yeah. the discipline is my day-to-day yeah. and that is always trying to be the best version of me every day and just showing up for me it's, mm. and that's how I live. Yeah. That's amazing. S- switching off though. Like, switching off? Yeah. Is, is there a switching off? Is there a – so that you say that looks after your physical, spiritual and emotional – quotients yeah i just love what i do and i just so you don't need to switch off i don't feel like i need to yeah because i'm just so passionate about it and i mean i'm on a journey to to make the world a better place as i said as a kid i felt like i i hated the world i love always love the universe the universe is very powerful i hate the world that i lived in society so i wanted to i want to change it i want people to be able to grow up and and have what i didn't yeah so that is my goal yeah, awesome. And I'll and I'll just keep doing that. Keep doing moment it. Moment by moment. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's get down to this. We're just about finished our time, which I'm disappointed in because I've loved every minute of it. And there, I know that there's – We've got round two. There's a part two coming <laughs> for sure with this one. Uh, we didn't even get into the A-listers. No, well, that's right. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff we didn't get into yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, and next time we'll, we will. Go we'll deeper. Go deeper. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I have enjoyed the fact that you've – given up a few things that you haven't actually talked about, spoken about and um, and just getting to know you more. Uh, like I want to dig deeper on a lot of that stuff because I, I feel like you may be an untapped resource for for young men. Um, and I'm not saying y- young women wouldn't get inspired from it either. I think that there's there's two forms there. But right now, you know, it's, uh, <clears throat> you know, 3,800 and something men a year taking their life in Australia and yeah, the age well. between – you know, 25 and, and 45, I think it is, yep. um, is the main predominant. And it it's just devastating. And without what you've done, you may as well, you may well have been one of those statistics. Yeah. And we all may well have been. And so I don't want to get dark and heavy on, on mental illness, but it, it's just, I think that you could be an untapped resource. But let's not focus on this, like... I love this whole thing and I, I did a story yesterday about it with um, your brain doesn't know negativity naturally. Yeah. It just responds to what you say. Correct. So, you know, it's like – and I said this. So don't think of a pink car. Think <laughs> <laughs> we can think of as a pink car. Um, so it's like with what you're doing – you're doing the other spectrum. You're doing the opposite of what people are focusing on. People are focusing a lot on mental illness and poor this and let's focus on that. But let's let's focus on health. That's solution Let's focus based. on love and yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's have the solution. So I, that's why I say I think you're an untapped resource. So I'm really looking forward to digging deeper and, and tearing back more layers and get more of the love out of you and the compassion out of you. That That's there. What's your mission? As I said before, it's, to, it's to, to give people what I never had as a kid and it's to change the world and make the world a better place. And um, So task that. It starts with quality water. You know, I want governments to come to me, to come to High Vibe and, and ask me how to treat the water properly and, and give back to the people. I believe everybody on earth should have good quality, clean drinking water. 
Yeah. You know, it's uh, the the water industry itself is a hundred billion dollar industry. It take thirty billion to give everyone on earth access to clean drinking water. Wow. So, so I want to so can we go through that statistic again? The water industry is a hundred billion dollar a year industry, industry, and it would only cost thirty billion. Thirty billion to give everyone on this planet clean drinking water. Correct. Uh, the top eight, you know, what is it? No, not the top eight. The eight people in the world control the most wealth. Uh, it is bullshit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And people are dying because they can't get water. That's right. That's right. And you know, you've got all these big corporations and stuff that are just not doing good things. So starting with water. Yeah, that's how you want to change. That's, it. Yeah, and that's, your mission. that's the first start is water. And obviously, you'll go into other aspects of it, but yeah, that's my mission. That's is amazing. to create an amazing community that we can all work together and create change. Yeah, love that. Right, I've got three quick questions for you. <laughs> and you've got to have, answer these rapid fire, mate. Okay, all right, let's go. Who's your hero? For, don't know, don't know. Probably my old boy. There Never gave up. Yeah, that's it. Fantastic, actually. Um, what's, your, what's your dad's name? This is not a rapid fire. This Kelvin. Is Kelvin Chenery. Yep. Well, big shout out to you, Kelvin. Big shout out. Yeah. Legend. And mum too. Yeah, and mum. What's mum's name? Jenny. Jenny. So Kelvin and Jenny. Where, and then where are they now? They're up on the coast, yep. Uh, I've come up from Melbourne. Finally got out of that. Yeah, yeah. Mum, the mum, did, mum did six lockdowns down there. She oh. said, I'll never, feel, I'll never want to feel like I've got nothing to do again. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the next question that you have to answer rapid fire is, what is the worst thing that anyone has ever said to you? Uh, this is one thing that woke me up straight away and it was, fuck, you're a negative and that was in the Legion. And what? that's changed my life, that one thing. First I wanted to knock him out, but then I stood back for a second and I thought about it and I said, you're right. And that moment has changed my life. I can't tell you how many people when I ask that question have actually given a response that's actually changed their life. It's actually been more of a positive answer, even though it was a negative answer, than, than the other way around. Yep. What's the best thing everyone said? anyone's ever said to you? Uh, recently, how good I look. Oh. <laughs> well, I can't argue that, especially wearing that T-shirt. Mate, it's been so good having you on uh, here so far and we will do this again for sure. So everyone, we before we wrap up, we didn't even get to start the right way. So I just want to thank you all for tuning in from wherever you are, whether you are taking a hike or riding a bike. We just appreciate you being on here and this has been Elliot Chenery and loved having you here, mate. Can't wait to dig in further. It's been awesome. you got one more thing to say? Say it to the world. Uh, just thank you for having me and uh, let's change the world together by building communities and, and uh, being positive and, and making change. It all starts from within and that's working on our mindset and working on our health. Let's check out here. Boom. That was awesome. That was a good one? Yeah. That was the end of another episode. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you've enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to rate, review and subscribe as this will help me get my message out to more people. If you've heard anything today that has resonated with you, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at Nath Cartledge. All the other ways to contact me will be in the show notes. I'd love to chat and hear your thoughts. Can't wait to Conflab next week. 